Come on. Well, good morning. Thanks for uh, having me today, and uh, I'm so excited to be here. Have one of my sons with me, Joshua. He's uh, he's 14, single, ready to mingle, and uh, and he's uh, nah, he has an amazing heart for. Uh, I'm gonna pay for that one on the way home. I can I can tell that. Uh, but has an amazing heart for New York City, and for the longest time, he just said. Dad, I want to go to New York, I want to go to New York, I want to go to New York, and, um, and so uh, he came with me on this trip. We arrived on Friday night, spent the day yesterday just walking through the city. He was really impressed that you can walk through the city praying in tongues and nobody gets offended. Um, <laughs> such an amazing international city, it's just like, a friend of ours met up with us for a little while and I was just going, Shakalamasandramas, and he was just responding, and it was, and it was a beautiful thing, Amen. And um, it's, but what a great pleasure to be back. I was here a few years ago, and, uh, but I'm actually just meeting uh, Pastor Bill and Pastor Tammy uh, today for the first time because they were suffering for Jesus in Kona, I guess, last time I was here. <laughs> and uh, I'm going to need Brother Mike to lay hands on me so I get that word, you know, <laughs> suffering for Jesus in Kona. Uh, but uh, um, what an amazing time to be alive. I will tell you that the presence of God is thick and strong in the city of New York. Uh, I believe the Lord has his eye uh, upon this city, not just the city that's known as the Big Apple, but the the apple of God's eye. I really believe the Lord's eyes are fixed uh, upon this city. And uh, I would tell you that 10 million people aren't too hard for God. Uh, Can a city be one in a day? Now, I believe we're going to watch it happen. I believe that God has made this not just an epicenter of, of being a melting pot uh, of humanity throughout, the, uh, throughout history, uh, but I believe it's going to be an epicenter of spiritual revival, awakening, transformation uh, for the nations of the earth. And um, I just believe there's something really significant about this house. I remember coming in the last time and again uh, this morning, just something about stepping down the stairs into this space. Uh, and I said, Lord, why down the stairs? And he said, because I brought it to the foundation. Uh, and I feel like the Lord is actually releasing us into a season of restoring the Father's foundation, of bringing the Father's foundation in the house of God in the city. But I also believe there's something transpiring that's going to, to actually bring the city to its knees. I'm not talking about tragedy and terrorism. I'm talking about the goodness, the kindness, and the glory of the Lord. That there is a trans, uh, uh, almost like this translucent uh, appearance of Jesus that we're about to see in this city. And I know there's a lot of focus on darkness and a lot of focus on political climate, all of those things. But, but I feel like it's a season just to flip the script and to change the narrative and bring the light of His glory. Uh, I, I think there's never been such great tension in the earth. Right? The tension of, of, I've never seen so much darkness and I've never seen so much glory at the same time. Isn't it strange? I mean, only God would do this, right? In, in a moment of, 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 of tremendous darkness, even what I believe that Isaiah 60 talks about. It says, Arise and shine, for the light has come. And the glory of the Lord has risen Upon us, and although darkness covers the earth and gross darkness the people, the glory of the Lord will be seen upon you. 
Now, if you read the whole chapter of Isaiah 60, there's only one kind of negative connotation in there, and it's in verse 2. And although darkness covers the, the, the earth and, and gross darkness the people, it goes back to glory. I think sometimes we get the narrative is focused on the darkness, focused on the division, focused on all of that. Those are great prayer points. I want to watch and pray. But, but to realize that when God surrounds us with glory, how, how many know darkness has to change? And so I believe that we're sitting in one of the most unprecedented times of, of, of church history, of world history, as we watch Jesus take center stage. I feel like that's what we're about to see. God is giving you a front row seat as a ministry, as a church, to watch God take center stage, that Jesus would take center stage and preeminence in this city like never before. Uh, Mike and Anna, I just I, I felt like this today. Uh, uh, you were, you're talking, you didn't even get two seconds into it. And I felt like the Lord said, whatever my honorarium is today, I'm, so, I'm supposed to sow it into you guys. Um, and I know that could be a private thing, but, but I, I felt like the Lord is saying what you've done in secret, God wants to honor publicly. And I feel like that you have been giving even beyond your support, meaning what, beyond what comes in. It's like you've tapped in to sow and help other missionaries go. And uh, I just feel like that um, from, from my heart. I don't even really know you except for seeing you for a few minutes. Uh, but I just want to sow into you. Uh, today and in, in that and I feel like it's gonna that there's something about you, you just made kind of uh, a comment um, about 0202 2020 uh, and I felt like when you said it the Lord was just speaking to me double double and I thought it was going to take me to California in and out burger but but it's really um, whoa right whoa it was, it was, that, that, that bore witness in my flesh uh, and um, You'd have to be there to experience it. But, um, but, but I just really feel like there's a double portion coming on you. And whatever you've seen as a harvest in the last season, the Lord's about to double it and then multiply it again and again. And I feel like a lot of it has to do because you kept your eyes fixed. In the midst of contradictory evidence and all kinds of stuff, you kept your eyes fixed. Uh, and I just feel like the, that the fixation of God is upon you, upon your family. Uh, and I just felt like that this is a sign to you that many people, both in ministry and outside of ministry, are going to pour into what you're, into what you're doing. Uh, and so I just want to uh, just speak those words over you today. Uh, I really believe this. I love what David said. I, King David, not just this David, he's pretty cool too, but, but, but King David, he said, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. You ever wonder why he said that? I think it was about the presence of God, but I think he also realized that everything I need is in the house. Everything I could ever desire, all of my inheritance, all of my hope, all of my healing, all of the things that I need are in the house of God. I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. I love that because I love the presence of God. Don't you love the presence of God? How many know the presence of God isn't a goosebump, isn't a feeling, isn't tongues rolling around on the floor, being a little kid with your face in the mud in Myanmar, uh, as much as I think that would be cool. But the presence of God is actually a person, and His name is Jesus. It's not the idea of Jesus, not a theology of Jesus, not an ideology of Jesus, not a philosophy of Jesus, but it really is Jesus. 
And I believe Jesus is in the room today. In fact, I know that he's here because I brought him with me. Anybody else bring Jesus with you today? Come on. There's something that happens when we bring Jesus into the room. Not just on Sunday morning, but Monday through Friday, Monday through Saturday, and every aspect of our life. And I believe that, that we are carrying what the world actually longs and desires for. They just haven't seen it yet. They just haven't seen Him yet. And I just feel like the Lord, if I could just prophesy to you this morning, I feel like this, the Lord is about to display His goodness, His loving kindness, His glory. It's about to be seen upon you and me like we've never seen before. I feel like the Lord is telling us today, don't cover your faces. The season of the cover-up is over. And the season of the apology tour is over. I think we have to actually stop apologizing for what the Lord's given us. I don't want to apologize for being prophetic. I don't want to apologize for walking in, 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 in healing. I don't want to apologize for the miracles around my life. Here's what I felt like the, the, the Lord was asking me a few months back. I was in a courtyard Marriott hotel in, in Waterbury, Connecticut, so not too far from here. Uh, I woke up to preach on a Sunday morning, and as the Lord wakes me up, I, I think it was kind of an illegal conversation because it was five something in the morning. Uh, he didn't just talk to me, but he actually asked me questions. Anybody think that's illegal for the Lord to ask you a question before coffee, right? And daylight. Like, it's like, Lord, it's not even daylight. I haven't had coffee. Talk to me, yes, but ask me a question, that's kind of... That's, um, but he asked me this question. Sunday today, are you going to preach my word and discuss it, or do you actually believe what you're saying? And I think Sunday mornings have become the great discussion in America. We, we are discussing principles instead of encountering the Prince of Peace. We, we are discussing theologies instead of understanding that Jesus is perfect theology. We're having discussions about healing instead of actually practicing healing. And I believe the Lord is bringing us back into the place where every one of you, if you want a prophetic word right now, the Lord is anointing you as Holy Spirit practitioners. I mean, doctors practice medicine. Lawyers practice law. We should be practicing in the Holy Spirit. Right. Why is it called a doctor's practice? Why is it called a law practice? Because they're practicing on you. If you go to the doctor and you have some infection, he gives you an antibiotic, it doesn't work, you don't go false doctor. Well, right? I live in the South, y'all, so. I like you already. Uh, <laughs> what I'm saying is this. We are so quick, right? We are just so quick to dismiss things and bring things into a discussion and a debate. How many know the goodness of God, the glory of God, the, the kindness of God, the healing power of God is not really up for discussion? He, he is who He says He is. And when I can't understand it, I don't doubt it. I just say that's mystery to me. 
I've had a couple friends go home to be with the Lord prematurely. I, I don't like it. To me, it's premature. I don't, I don't like it. I'm not a fan of it. I don't understand it. But it doesn't make me question or doubt the goodness of God, the kindness of God, the power of God. It, may, it just brings me to a place of, wow, that's a mystery to me. And here's the great mystery. My friends aren't complaining today. They're, they're saying, David, if you see what I'm seeing right now, you check out too. Right? Are you understanding me? It's not that God didn't answer my prayer. God answered my prayer differently than I expected Him to. But the fact of the matter is, I simply go, mystery. I tell people all the time, there's a lot of questions I'm going to ask the Lord when I get there. And the more I say that, the more I realize I'm not going to ask the question. Because A, it won't matter anymore, and B, I'll know everything I need to know. Can I, can I just prophesy this to you? New York City is about to get caught up in the mystery. I enjoyed yesterday with my son seeing the history of this city. If you want to know where my ministry was birthed, it was in New York City. Right after September 11th, 2001, on that, on that fateful day, the Lord spoke to me as a, as a school teacher in Pensacola, Florida. Want you, the next day you can fly again. Once you get on an airplane, want you to, to fly to New York City. And I want you to walk the streets and prophesy to dry bones. And I spent 10 days just walking. All the kids in our school brought in their piggy banks. And, and I remember just having all these checks to hand out to Red Cross and FDNY, all, all of that. And, and it was in this city that I actually first realized I was anointed. I'd preached before. I'd, I'd prophesied a little bit, but I never knew I was anointed till I walked into Union Square. I'll never forget it. There were all of these... Um, you know, everybody had all of their little vigils. You know, they had their, all of the posters of all of the amazing thousands of people that lost their lives. Candles lit everywhere. And I remember seeing all these tables, and I watched these psychics and fortune tellers and all of these people it, that, that were gathered around. And I just leaned against a post, maybe from here to the, to the platform, and just looking at this lady, you know, five, ten, twenty dollars that they would tell their, the family or if your loved one was in a air pocket or, or dead or alive, heaven or hell. And I just remember leaning up against this light post by a garbage can. And uh, I just looked at her and I wasn't being boisterous. I just started praying in the spirit just quietly. And all of a sudden she said, hey, you, can you move? And I said, why? She said, because you're messing with my atmosphere. And I realized then, I, so this is what I said. I said, I'm not going to move, but you're going to move. And the next day I walked through and YWAM had come in and they had prayer tents set up in, in, Union, in, in Union Square. First time I ever knew I was anointed. Can I tell you something? We're all looking for to have somebody lay hands on us, prophesy to us. And God just simply saying, I'm going with you. Yes. See, your anointing will announce you. I want every one of you to know right now, you're just as anointed as the next. You just haven't discovered it yet. Maybe you haven't tapped into it yet. Maybe you, you don't understand how to apply it to your sphere of influence. 
But same Holy Spirit speaking in here today, the same Holy Spirit walking you into your law firm tomorrow, into your job on Wall Street, into, into the bakery that you work in, in the, in the bank you work in, wherever you go, in the NYU, wherever you're going to school, the Holy, same Holy Spirit's walking in you. And He's not saying, hey, it's Monday, got to wait till prayer meeting tonight. Or How many know you got a full-grown Jesus on the inside of you? When you got born again, He put His hands inside of your hands, His feet inside of your feet, gave you the mind of Christ, the heart of God. He anointed you as an oracle, a mouthpiece of God to, to bring light and life where, wherever you go. My friend Paul Manwaring says it like this, While the world is starving for a demonstration, we just keep giving them an explanation. Can I tell you something? I don't need to explain God. I just need to demonstrate His love and His power wherever I go. I'm prophesying to you, Life Center, that you are about to experience one of the greatest years and seasons of the demonstration of the power and love of God being poured out in this city. See, I, I think if we have ears to hear, we've been hearing prophecy from the, from the worship we were bringing this morning to when Mike was talking about my five-year-old gave her life to Jesus, my three-and-a-half-year-old had an encounter with God. Because I believe that is a prophetic word about salvation coming to you and to your children and your children's children. That there is household salvation coming. Coming to your atheist father. Coming to your agnostic uncle. Coming to your, coming to your Jehovah's Witness mother. I, I, I don't care what sphere that they're stuck in. There is a promise that's dropped upon you prophetically. That says today salvation's come to you and your household. See, Jesus said these words in Luke 17. He, he said that I've come to save that which was lost. He didn't just say who which was lost, but that which was lost. Everything. Everything that was lost. He's come to redeem. He's come to restore. He's come to save. A couple of years ago, I was sitting with the Lord on New Year's Eve, and He was just speaking to me all these great things He wanted to do in the church and in the earth. And and at the end, I felt really accomplished. And he said, what are you believing me for this year? And so I began to write it down. And every time I got to a stopping place, the Lord would say, is that it? So I would write some more. I filled up a whole spiral notebook. And then I got to a uh, half through another one. I felt pretty accomplished. Prayed in tongues for a few minutes, said, in the name of Jesus. And he said, is that it? Because I still have more. At the end, it was so overwhelming. I found myself crying out at my, at my kitchen table. Jesus, save me. It surprised me, probably just like it's surprising you. I'm born again. I'm filled with the Holy Spirit. I'm in ministry, and I'm crying out, Jesus, save me. And here's what he said. Son, I'm not just able to save your circumstance or your situation. I'm not just able to save your soul, but I'm able to save your circumstance, your situation, your marriage, your kids, your finances, all of those things. And all I'm simply saying to you today is I believe the Lord is coming with the breaker anointing. And the first place He wants to break through is the box we've tried to contain ourselves and Him in. This is a season that God is bringing us beyond containment and beyond confinement. We're stepping into something new, something greater than we've experienced before. I want to say to you today that this season is not like the last season. Therefore, I cannot enter this season like I've entered in seasons of the past. I have a friend. His name is Jake Hamilton. He lives out in Reading, a part of the church called The Stirring. He's a great 
worship leader, kind of a rocker guy, a little edgy, prophetic. And uh, I was in a meeting with him in September in Denver. And he said, the church doesn't like seasons. The Western world doesn't like seasons because we want to eat strawberries all year round. (laughs) But the problem with that is strawberries don't grow all year round. They are a fruit of spring. So we just create artificial environments and artificial flavors so that we can feed off what we want. But because of that, our diet is lacking because we're not eating the fruit of the season. So the church is actually malnourished. We're in malnutrition. Because there's a part of our spiritual diet that we're not feasting on. I have a prophetic word for you today. The Lord is changing our spiritual appetite. He's changing the appetite, our spiritual appetite, of what we're feasting on. I love that this is a house that fasts. I love the discipline of fasting. I know I don't always look like it, but, but, but how many know that fasting is strongly connected to feasting? When I'm fasting certain things, I'm feasting on His goodness. I'm feasting on His presence. I'm, I'm feasting on those things. And I'm just telling you right now, some of you, as, even as a prophetic sign in this room today, some of the taste in your mouth is about to change. This is a season where the Lord is changing some things from the bitter to sweet. I've heard people say this over and over again. It's a bittersweet season. It's a bittersweet season. No, He's changing the bitter to sweet. Some of you right now, you're about to, you're about to step into the sweet spot of the Spirit. In Matthew 10 and 41, Jesus said these words, He who receives a prophet in the name of a prophet shall receive a prophet's reward. And he who receives a righteous man in the name of a righteous man shall receive a righteous man's reward. Now, don't worry, I'm not getting ready to take another offering. Because that's what we've actually diminished this scripture to. We've actually brought it to, you hear this scripture, we bring it out, David Wagner and some other prophetic guys coming through. If you receive a prophet in the name of a prophet, you receive the prophet's reward. And so the way that you receive him is that you sow into his ministry. Thankfully, I I appreciate that. Thank you very much. But it's not the context of this scripture. The word receive here is mentioned four times, but it actually has two different different interpretations or or meanings. The first one is to receive means that you hear a, a prophetic word and you receive it. You embrace it. It's like you hug the thing out. You get a word, you're like, wow, I love that word, Jesus. Thank you very much. I'm going to receive that right now. My gospel babe wife is coming. I believe it. I'm, I, I, want to embrace, I, I want to embrace the word right now. And all the single guys are like, yep. And all the single ladies are like, whoop, whoop, put a ring on it, right? Uh, and, and so that's not prophetic. That was just pathetic. And, and, and so... Sorry, sorry to, to dismantle that, but, right? but we're, we're really good at embracing the word. We hear a word we like, and we go, I like that. But the other meaning of this is to, you hear a prophetic word, and you actually have to run after it to hunt it down like a wild animal till you grab a hold of it and possess it and make it yours. And I think the church is really good at the embrace part, but we're not really good at the pursuing promise part. 
especially in, in this church age, we feel like, you know, I name it, I claim it, I shout it, I grab it, right? It's just whatever I say I have. And I believe in some of the principles of that. I'm not knocking it. But what I'm simply saying is there are certain things that I actually have to pursue. I actually have to go after that the promise isn't just coming to me, but I actually have to move towards the promise. Where's that in Scripture? Glad you asked. First, First Kings and 17. The Bible says these words to Eli- about Elijah. Elijah gives this crazy word to Ahab. Ahab is a, is a, is a bad dude, right? He's, he is an unrighteous, he is a heathen uh, king. He, 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 he's just, he's, he's immoral. He's a, he's a bad dude. To make it worse, he's sleeping with Jezzy, right? He, he's, he's married to Jezebel. How'd you like to wake up to that every morning, right? It's like you wake up next to somebody meaner than you, right? And, <laughs> and Elijah goes up in 1 first, first Kings 17. Elijah goes to Ahab and he said, It's not going to rain or do until I say so. Now, if I were going to give that word to him or to a president or a king, I'd probably want to send it uh, in his Instagram DM, right? <laughs> Facebook Messenger, text message, email. Because by the time he opens it, I'm at least on a plane getting out of town. But Elijah has this anointing of confrontation and he speaks it to him. And the Lord realizes something, or the Lord knew this in advance, is that Elijah is actually going to actually receive or actually be affected by the same prophecy he just gave. It's either going to cost him his life or he's going to get caught up in the drought and he's going to need something to drink and something to eat. So the Lord said, I want you to go from here to the brook Cherith, okay? He goes there. He drinks from from the brook. He said, I'm going to send ravens there to feed you. How many know that's a ridiculous word? (laughs) I'm going to send birds of prey to share their food with you. The Bible says that the word of the Lord came to Elijah, and then it says, Elijah went according to the word. Sometimes the word of the Lord comes to you, and there's times you've got to go to the word. And he brings him to the brook, and the brook sustains him for a season, but all of a sudden the brook dries up. Why? Because what God is using to sustain you in this season was for that season. And he will cause that brook to dry up, because if that brook doesn't dry up, you'll pitch a camp there. And you'll never go to the place of destiny God's called you to. And some of us are complaining because where we were at is all dried up. And the Lord is saying, I dried it up on purpose because your destiny isn't here. It's there. And and what if your there is here? We're all looking for there. When I get there. Can I tell you something? Sometimes the Lord will cause where you are at to dry up. It's not bad. It's just necessary. I think we have to come to this realization in the church that hard's not bad. It's just hard. And we have this mindset of hard is bad. No, it's not. 
It's in this hard, dry time that I rediscover the goodness, the kindness, the floodgates of heaven being opened in my life. See, some of you want to be sustained when God wants you to be satisfied. Don't settle for sustained. Because if you don't get stuck and sustained, you'll move to the place called satisfied. It's in these places where you find the Lord asking you this question. Am I not enough for you? It's the question he's asking this prophetic guy every day. Am I not enough for you? And until he's enough for me, nothing else is going to make sense. Until he's enough for me, I will settle for counterfeit. I will settle for lookalike. I will settle for whatever satisfies this flesh. And I'm telling you right now that this is a season. Don't mourn the brook who just dried up. Because the Lord has another provision for you at another gate. The word of the Lord came to Elijah. But then Elijah had to go according to the word. I have a friend named David Alexander in Pensacola where I lived for 20 years. In 2003, uh, I went to Pensacola Police Department to minister to a group of officers there. I'd gone around the room, maybe 40, 50 policemen giving them prophetic words. I gave one word to uh, a pastor named, uh, to a, 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 an officer named Paul Kelly, that he was going to, he was a sergeant at the time. I said, you're going to bypass lieutenant, become captain. When you make captain, they're going to, um, they're going to, they're going to make you the next chief of police. I gave David Alexander a, another word. He was a sergeant at the time. And I talked to him just about his career, what he was doing, some community policing and internal affairs thing. It was a, a good word. He loved it. <coughs> but he said, more than loving the word and receiving the word I got, he said, I looked when you were prophesying to my friend Paul and I realized Paul didn't receive the word. So I went to Paul and said, Paul, you really need to receive that word. It's a word from the Lord for you. And Paul said, no, man, uh, you don't understand I'm going to make captain. I'm going to have my time in, my years in, and I'm just going to retire, take pension. And he's like, no, you need to understand. This is God speaking to you. You need to receive the word. And after just going back and forth with him for a while, he realized Paul didn't receive the word. So my friend David said, so I received it for him. <laughs> and he said, so I went a week later with my son. I went to the mall to a shop called Things Engraved. And I had a nameplate made, David Alexander, Chief of Police. He said, I put it up on the shelf, and sure enough, my friend Paul got promoted. He went from sergeant, skipped over lieutenant, went right to captain. Shortly after they asked him to be Chief of Police, he denied the promotion and uh, retired. He said, but because I received that word, I became the first African-American Chief of Police in Pensacola, Florida. What happened? David did not steal Paul's word. He received it. And I think what we do often with the prophetic is we hear a word, but we don't necessarily know how to receive the word. Does that make sense to you? 
And this is the season when, when you're in your Friday night encounter meetings and there's harp and bowl and there's praise and worship and there's intercession going on and there's prophetic declarations being made, uh, even things being said. It may not have a thus saith the Lord to it. It may not even sound like a prophecy, but when something leaps, I, I would dare say to you that in this season we need to re realize how to grab a hold of the word to receive it and apply it to our lives. I think revelation without application leaves us in frustration. And there's a lot of frustrated people, a lot of frustrated prophetic people, because they're hearing the word, but they don't know how to discern times and seasons. I woke up this morning, and this is what the Lord said to me today. He said, I'm going to release the anointing of the sons of Issachar upon Life Center. It said that the sons of Issachar knew their time and their season in the earth. It tells me that the word time and season are two different things. There is a kairos moment. There is this moment of time. But there is also this season, a moment where your destiny manifests. And the Lord is releasing that anointing, not just to be a hearer of the word, but actually to do what the word says. Many of you are stepping into that like never before. You have to receive the prophetic word. I'll ask you what the Lord asked me. Are you believing my word or just discussing it? So my son Josh is with me. He's 14. He was born... Uh, we, my wife and I had a miscarriage in between uh, Caleb and Joshua. And uh, it was a very hard season. And um, we, we th thought we were done. But um, the, day, uh, the Sunday after we lost the baby, <coughs> I went to church. And uh, it was Baby Dedication Sunday. And when I'm home, uh, when I'm home I, I dedicate the babies. I prophesy over all the babies. And... Uh, that day there were eight babies, and it was the hardest Sunday, hardest assignment of my life. If you, you lose a baby, and then you have to stand there uh, and prophesy over babies, and you know, it, it breaks your heart. Uh, and, and so I came off the platform. All I could tell you is that I had done my job. I did what I was supposed to do. And on the way off the platform, there, we had a guest speaker that day named Dwayne, Dwayne Allen, who's one of A.A. Allen, the great healing evangelist, great nephews. And um, Dwayne grabbed me by the, by the shoulders and he said, look at me, man of God. And he said, the Lord wants to know what you want. You want boys, you want girls, you want twins, you want triplets. And I just acted like I was going through the you know, drive through at McDonald's and said, uh, I said, I'll take two more boys. I'll take a Joshua and an Isaac. And, and I didn't tell my wife because my wife um, and I had a discussion. Anytime I would discuss it, she would make signs like, sisters, I don't know what that means. Uh, but... But I'm sure it's very painful, uh, and, and I don't want to know. And so, well, I go on a, a, about nine months or a year later, I go on a mission trip to Columbia. I come back, and she tells me she's pregnant. And um, she's carrying Joshua, and Joshua is, uh, it's a perfect pregnancy. Um, and we get right up to his birthday, November 1st, 2005. And uh, everything is going well in the delivery process. And all of a sudden, right when he's transitioning, getting ready to be born, bells and whistles go off. Doctors, nurses all come running in, and uh, they lost the heartbeat. And so uh, they, they finally get him out. He's, he's blue. He's not breathing. He's not 
responding, and uh, I grab a hold of his toes. And, and I just started praying, and I started declaring, Lord, this is my promise from the Lord. He's going to live and not die. He's going to prophesy. He's going to declare the works and the word uh, of the Lord. And uh, for five minutes, I just held on to his toes. And after five minutes, he let out this loudest scream I've ever heard. Uh, and I made a covenant with God that no matter how loud he gets, I would never complain about it. Um, I regret that covenant. Um, <coughs> um, because he can be a little quiet in here today, but he can also be the loudest voice in the house. And, and, but, but all of his days, he's, I've told him, so every day of his life, Joshua Timothy Wagner, you're my miracle boy. You're, you're my miracle boy. He's alive because he's, he is a promise from God. But sometimes you have to contend for the promise. Sometimes you have to contend for the promise. Now, now fast forward to a, a couple of years ago in 2016. Um, he's playing on the trampoline with, uh, with uh, his older brother, who's a few years older than him, and they think they're WWE wrestlers. Um, although they've not been trained. <laughs> My wife and daughter are out shopping. It is the Tuesday before Thanksgiving. And, um, and, and they're out shopping and they're doing what they're supposed to. I'm supposed to be on dad duty. Um, but I find myself distracted by Instagram, watching everybody else live their life vicariously on social media. Um, and all of a sudden he comes running in. He broke my arm. Caleb broke my freaking arm. And, and now I don't know where he learns to talk like that. <laughs> Other than he does watch shows from New York, all right? Uh, and, uh, and forget about it, huh? Uh, and, and so, you know, we, uh, I look at his arm, it's kind of deformed like this. And I think to myself, that's just a bag of peas and a little prayer, right? Jesus, touch it, cold, you know, frozen bag of peas, put it on the... Um, and I realize this is probably not right, but it's, it's the mansplaining, right? I never knew that term till last week. My wife said, quit mansplaining. And uh, I'm still trying to figure it out. But it's tough when you're married to a woman smarter than you. Uh, and, and so um, I realized that I should probably take him at least to get checked out. And so I, I decided that I could get him to the emergency room and back before mom gets home. But... Uh, a word of knowledge, wisdom came through my 16-year-old son at the time and said, should you call mom or do you want me to do it? And I thought it would probably be better for her to hear it from me. Uh, and so I called her and said, look, I don't want you to worry. I think, you know, Josh may have, you know, sprained something. <laughs> but I've got a bag of peas and uh, I'm bringing him to the, the hospital. And she said, well, what happened? I, I said, honey, they're on the trampoline. She said, well, where were you? I said, this is not about me. <laughs> this is about my son. And, and she said, I'm going to, I said, I can, I'm going to, I'll just take him and we'll come home later and I'll explain it. She goes, no, you won't ask the right questions. So I'll meet you there. So we walk in, we, we hit triage, right? And the, the nurse has enough revelation and experience to go, oh, so we don't even sit in waiting room. We actually go right back into the exam room. And they immediately start talking like we need to start giving him some pain meds and get him sedated. And even before x-rays, they're like, oh, this is going to be plates and pins. And, 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 
and he's looking at me like, this ain't happening. This ain't, this ain't happening. And so we, we, we go through the process, and, and they keep talking that way. The doctor comes back, shows us an x-ray, and the x-ray is like there's you know, fracture on both sides of the elbow, and it's, you know, so he's talking plates and pins and screws, and he's saying, Dad, I'm not having surgery. And I said, you know, it's all right, son. You know, these guys know what to do. You're going to have a really cool scar. When you're older, you can tell whatever story you want to. Uh, you're going to have a cast. All the girls can write their names on it, put some phone numbers. You're good, man. You're in, mid- you know, you're in fifth grade, almost in middle school. It's going to give you street cred. It's going to be awesome. And he's like, no, Dad, you don't understand. I'm not having surgery. And I keep trying to just bring peace. Can I tell you something? I think sometimes we go for the peace button instead of the authority button. I think sometimes we just go, you know what, this is just life right now. And it's just really easy to go, let me just bring a little peace to you. It's going to be all right. Your dad's with you. Mom's here. And all of a sudden, the doctor comes in and he starts talking surgery. And uh, he said, Dad, I'm not having surgery. I said, Doc, you probably do this all the time, don't you? He said, yeah, fourth today. And he goes, see, I'm not having surgery. He's tired. (laughs) And I said, it's all right. He knows what he's doing. But he grabbed me with his good arm. And he said, Dad, what have you called me my whole life? I said, you're Joshua Timothy Wagner, my miracle boy. And he asked me the question, so what's changed from the day I was born to today? What do you do when your miracle needs a miracle? We prayed. They checked it out again. And that day he went home in a splint. No surgery. Why? Because he grabbed a hold of the word of the Lord. It's not only his identity, but it is, it is the promise. That's a great story from father to son. But we also do it to our own heavenly father, don't we? Lord, just bring me peace in this situation. No. What if he wants to come and bring a sword? Lord, just get me out. No, what if I want to do a miracle in the midst of what you're going through? See, I believe right now many of us in this room are standing in that place where we have encountered a miracle But the miracle of yesterday needs another miracle today. Apply it to your marriage. She was a miracle when you married her. Your miracle may just need another miracle. He was Boaz when you met him. Man, if I had a B3 organ right now. Work it, preach it. But your miracle just needs another miracle. What do you do when your 18-year-old son, who God spoke about prophetic destiny, is cracked out or strung out? You give up on it. My miracle just needs a miracle. 
business God gave you all of a sudden tanks because of some economic... No, your miracle just needs a miracle. And I'm telling you right now, there are miracles for your miracle in this place today. There are miracles for your miracle in this place today. It's more than a father-son trip. It's more than sightseeing New York City yesterday. I was deliberate where I brought him. Because he's stepping into inheritance, not after I'm dead, but while we're living and while we can walk and run together. Why? When I look at him, I see the miracles of God. When I see the contrary of the last few weeks with some of my friends going home, I go, but I got, a, I got, a, I got proof of a miracle right here. And so I refocus. I, I continue to do it. Come on, some of us right now, we've got to come back to that childlike faith. Yes. <clears throat> I'm already out of my notes, so I might as well stay out of them. <laughs> it's cute. I write notes every day. Get to give two lines, and then I never get to preach the rest. Preach a thousand messages I've never prepared, and I've prepared a thousand messages I never get to preach. So I think that's great. See, God would rather have you be an amateur in the new thing than a professional in the old thing. Last year I was flying in March, I was flying to, uh, to Australia. As I'm flying over, I said, Lord, what do you want to do in the earth right now, today? What are you doing right now? And he said, I'm restoring innocence to a generation that had it stolen from them. I landed in Melbourne. We went into this conference and there are four speakers the first day. And every one of them hit on purity of heart or innocence or something like that. <coughs> and uh, so I was the last speaker, so I got to tie it all together. Shared what the Lord had spoke to me and um, how there was this thread throughout the meeting. The Lord said, you know, when I saved you, I didn't find you not guilty. I found you innocent. To find you not guilty means there's not just, just not enough evidence to convict you. But to find you innocent means you weren't even in the country when the, when the thing happened. And then he said, I want you to begin to redeem and restore words that have been hijacked by the world and the enemy. And he said, why don't you start with naive? Now, earlier that day, or that week, if you would have asked me what naive was, I would say, you don't have street smarts, you're not very with it, you, you, haven't, you, know, you haven't been schooled by the world, you don't know what stuff is, you don't know what's up. Maybe even say a little stupid. But if you go back to the original meaning of naive, it means this. So pure-hearted and pure-minded that you can't even comprehend the perverted joke. And the Lord is about to release this anointing of just being naive again. This holy ability to not even be able to comprehend. I'm in the world, but I'm not of the world. I know stuff's around me, but it doesn't affect me. It doesn't even entertain me. It doesn't even kind of get my attention anymore because I can't even, my mind can't even process that. That's the anointing. That's what God is releasing in this place today.
That's what he's dropping. That is a point of contention in your prayer, in your intercession, in your fasting, in your praying. Lord, would you restore such innocence to, to the city of New York? Can you just restore such innocence to our public school system, to NYU, to... Come on, right now, I'm telling you. I'm not just talking to you today. I'm not just telling you some good stories. I'm prophesying to you today. The Lord has anointed you <coughs> to be a light. A city set on a hill whose light cannot be hidden. And I'm telling you right now, this place is about to explode with growth. I'm not talking about church hoppers. I believe you're about to watch people come into the kingdom like never before. You're about to watch those harvest prayers prayed on, on Monday nights bring so much fruit. You're about to watch a city come to the Lord. See, I was walking the streets yesterday and I felt spiritual hunger. I, I feel like people are just, they're looking. They don't know what they're looking for yet. But, but there's something on the inside saying, oh, I need something. I'm telling throughout the boroughs of New York City, we're about to see the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords make a triumphal entry. We're about to watch an awakening. We're about to watch radical transformation of a city, of a state, of a, of a region. It's not wishful thinking to me. It is my reality. I wake up every day when I turn on the news. It's not to, to find out what's happening over But I expect to say, and there's something we can't explain happening in New York City. There's something that we cannot explain happening right here. Crime rates are dropping and, and, and divorce rates are dropping and, and kids are, are graduating high school and, and all of these great things. I'm telling you right now, my eyes are about to see. In the beginning of this year, the, the Lord said, I'm releasing the Simeon anointing upon the church. Simeon was the prophet, him and Anna, who were in the temple uh, Waiting, they, they, they went every day expecting to, for somebody to present the Messiah. And the day Mary and Joseph brought Jesus to be dedicated, these were the words of Simeon. My eyes have seen the salvation of the Lord. And now your servant can depart in peace. In other words, I've held on my whole life, my whole ministry. I knew there was going to come a day I would see it. And all the days I didn't see it didn't deter me from showing up because I knew there's coming a day in my lifetime, in my ministry, that I would see the marvels of God. I would see the salvation of the Lord. And I'm telling you right now, the Lord is about to release that anointing for your eyes to be unveiled, your eyes to see. Some of you right now are in dire straits. You're contending you feel like nothing's happening. And I felt like the Lord said, He's healing frustrated people in the room today. God, you said, but I'm not seeing it. I'm telling you right now, your eyes are about to see. The Lord has anointed this house to walk in the art of praying through. 
There is an anointing to pray through. To pray through it until it manifests. Pray through until you actually see it manifest right before your eyes. Here's where I'll close. I shouldn't be here. 23 years ago, January 1997, I committed suicide and I was successful. I took 250 prescription pills, a bottle of gin, laid down to die or so I thought. Nobody knows how it happened. I ended up in church 12 miles away from where I was living in front of a pastor his first day out of seminary. Welcome to the ministry. Dropped dead right in front of him. Called the ambulance. They came. They resuscitated me. I spent two and a half days in a coma. Through fingerprints, they, they found out who I was. They called my mother. And they said, uh, you might as well forget you ever had this son. He's not going to live if he does live. He'll be a vegetable. He won't walk. He won't talk. Won't be able to take care of himself. So you might as well just sign him over to the state. But my mother sat on the steps. She hung up the phone. She just said these words. Satan, you will not have my son. God, I gave him, 26 years ago, you gave him to me. And today I give him back to you. I named him David because I always believed he'd be my little shepherd boy. And I don't know how you do what you do, but make my son a miracle. And about that time, a bright light came into the room and the Lord radically revealed Himself to me. I died crazy. I woke up in my sound mind. I was a bona fide paranoid schizophrenic. Ten suicide attempts. Last one being successful. But I couldn't outrun my mama's prayers. I grew up in a denomination that didn't believe in the prophetic, talk about the prophetic. But I believe the very fact, the way my mother named me, was a prophetic word that God couldn't turn His back on. Why, why am I sharing this with you? Because when, when, when what God said is in complete contradiction to what you're facing, go with what God said. When your feelings go in direct contradiction with what God said, go with what God said. Because your feelings are fickle. They just want to be met right now. If I'm tired, I just want to rest. If I'm hungry, I just want to eat. If I've got struggles, I just want peace. And I will do whatever it takes to get this stuff that started dying the day I was born to be happy. And I'm telling you right now, there is a fresh infusion of faith. This is going to be a miracle month for you. Man, my spirit leapt when I saw a firestorm. It's not going to be an event. It's going to be an encounter. It's, it, there, there's something shifting and changing. I'm not promoting a conference, although I, if, I would, if I could be here, I'd be here. What I'm simply saying is this is that this is a month that God is orchestrating something. Now, I believe with all my heart 
that this is a miracle month for the for this house relationally and the amount of salvations you're going to sing and the fruit of ministry financially all of that you're about to watch the hand of the lord move in unprecedented ways 